Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Let's begin tonight with And Can It Be. Sing all three verses of this song. Yeah. 
prayer and scripture reading. We'll sing number 225. 225.
Tonight's scripture reading comes from Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Before the reading, let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here this evening. Father, we are so glad that you've allowed us to gather here this evening so we may openly worship you. Father, we ask that every, we hope that everything said and done here this evening is pleasing to thy sight in accordance to thy will, Father. Father, we thank you for men like Chris that come before us and will bring us your word and, and tell us what your plan is for us, Father. And Father, we ask that you give him a recollection of what he studied, that he may say it in a manner that will open our hearts and our minds, that we may apply it. And Father, if there's somebody here that has not obeyed your, your plan of salvation, that tonight would be that night. It would prick their heart and bring them to you, Father. Father, we ask that you bless the elders of this church, that you watch over them and guide them and direct them, Father, that they do your will, Father, that, so that your church here at Rome can be the beacon of, of this community, Father. Father, we ask that you be with those that are sick, those that are shut in, those that are fighting the terrible disease of cancers and other diseases. Father, we ask that you be with them, hold them in your hand and bless them, Father. Be with their families in that time also, Father, and those that Provide comfort and, and medicine to them, Father. We ask that you be with each of those. Father, we ask that you be with our men and women that are in the armed services, especially those of the household of faith. We ask that you watch over and protect them, Father. Bring them home safely. Father, we thank you for the love that you had, that you sent us your son, Jesus, that he died upon the cross with, from us. He was buried and he was resurrected so that we may have the opportunity, Father, to live with thee in heaven. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Scripture reading is Matthew 7, 1, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be judged, for with, with judgment you judge, you will, all, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, you will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look at a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Before our lesson this evening, we'll sing number 515, 515. If you can, please, let's stand as we sing this song. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
Good evening. Hope you've had each one of you a good afternoon. Tonight we are in our uh, Twisted Scriptures series. Tonight we're in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. <clears throat> so many times our world will take a verse um, and they will twist it. Um, maybe, it's in, maybe it's not intentional. Uh, I'm willing to, to give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we do live in a very... Um, biblically illiterate culture now. Uh, it's no longer the culture of our parents and our grandparents where if you ask someone what a certain verse said, they could rattle off to you or at least find it. Now many times, uh, at least um, many folks in our culture and in our world, uh, and especially in America, don't know the stories. And so I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt that, that maybe it's just a, an ignorance issue. Um, and ignorance is fine as long as you don't stay there right um, that's something that we can and should as the church fix that's where we can step in and be a benefit to people uh, so for whatever reason there are a great many people in our world that that twist scriptures and, and this one may be certainly is one of the most twisted Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 you've heard this verse and you may have had this particular verse thrown back at you uh, as you have try to talk to someone about a sin, maybe, or something that they have done that was offensive um, toward God. 
they will tell you, well, you can't judge me because the Bible says, judge not lest you also be judged, right? I'm sure you've had that verse uh, quoted to you by someone at some point in your life. And so what are you going to do? That is what the verse says. If you've got your Bibles open, look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. That's exactly what the verse says. And so what are you going to do? Well, you do what the rest of us do and you read the rest of the passage. Um, this is our key word for this series, context. You've got to read the verses around the verse um, that's causing your problems. The verse that you're uh, wondering about, you've got to read the verses around it to really figure out what's going on in that verse. And so that's what we need to do tonight. Um, so Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged is true. So is verse 2 through 6, though. <clears throat> Excuse me. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's almost like people are, are saying, well, if you don't judge me, then you're not going to be judged, right? We know that's a falsehood, of course. Verse 3, let's keep, keep rolling through this, and we'll come back to some of these thoughts in a second. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye, right? Jesus is, on a great many occasions, funny. And he, he paints a picture here of you walking up to somebody. You've got a, a massive tree sticking out of your, your eye. And you walk up to a brother and you say, he's got a little bit of sawdust in your eye. But I bet that's causing you some problems, isn't it? Let me see if I can get that out for you. And you can't even see well enough. You can't even see the guy, much less the, the speck of sawdust that's in his eye. He says, you hypocrite, in verse 5. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So can I judge? Should I judge? Or should I not judge? Matthew 7, 1 says, I better not judge or I'll be judged as well, right? But Matthew 7, 5 says that I ought to judge. I just need to do it right. You see it? Context is key. It's always key. It's always important. Anytime you're struggling with uh, a particular verse, you're like, oh man, what, I wonder what that verse says. And you will run into those passages, won't you? Um, the Bible I've heard it said that anyone can understand the Bible. Uh, and I 100% agree with that. I think that's true. Uh, I think anyone can understand the plan of salvation. I think anyone can understand what God wants from them. But this is a book that you can study your entire life. Read the same passages over and over again for 60, 70, 80 years and learn new material every time. Right? And, and I know so many of you have done that. And so this is a, you're not supposed to be able to understand all the things that this book has because it's not written by humans, right? It's written by God, and he has an infinite mind, and when our finite minds try to interact with his infinite mind, we're not going to be able to pick up all the things that he wants us to understand. Certainly, we're not going to be able to pick up all the things he wants us to understand on the first time through it. And so we are going to have to get back down to the context. So, judge not that you be not judged, right? What he's really saying is, you need to judge, right? Look in the rest of uh, the rest of the verses here on the screen behind me. You need to judge, but you need to do some stuff first, right? You got to look at yourself first. Sometimes we judge people harshly without looking at ourselves first. And he says, "Well, 
you need to, you can and should judge other people. Judge is such a negative term in our world, isn't it? And we need to come up with a, be- a different term that's less, has less of the connotation that judge has behind it. But for the sake of our, our lesson tonight, let's continue using judge or discern or something along those lines. Um, we can and should judge. We can and should discern. We can and should talk to people about their sin, right? That, that's one of the church's purposes. Uh, we are to hold each other accountable. It's awfully hard to do that if I can't judge your life as out of step with the truth of the gospel, right? And it's very clear here in Matthew 7, if you go past verse 1, that Jesus is saying you can and should judge. There's just some stuff you need to do first. I need to look at me first. Uh, And so one of the tenets um, throughout Scripture is that I need to judge me more harshly than I judge you. I need to let you off the hook more often, and I need to hold myself more accountable, right? Um, And you'll you'll find that idea creeping back up in in a lot of scriptures. Um, That idea is is throughout scripture. And so that's what Jesus is aiming at here. You judge yourself first. You deal with yourself first. And, And the way he phrases it, you take the log out of your own eye before you try to go and deal with with someone else and their sin. Uh, Paul's going to come back to the same thought. Flip, flip over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It's another passage you're familiar with. It's probably not as famous as the, the Matthew 7 passage. Like you say, even in a, uh, even in a, a um, spiritually illiterate world, Matthew 7 is one of the verses everybody seems to know because it kind of plays into... Um, what they want, right? People want to be left alone. They want you to okay their sin. And so Matthew 7, 1 seems to do that. If you were to rip it just completely out of its context, you can make it say that. But if you put it in its context, it's pretty obvious what it actually says. I can and should judge. I can and should discern your life. And you should mine if it's out of step with the truth of the gospel. Um, But we have to deal with Ourselves first. Look at what he, Paul says in, Matthew, in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are, what's the word? Spiritual. You who are spiritual. You guys that have already taken account of your own selves, who have been harsh with yourself, who have held yourself accountable. You guys should restore him, this person, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. He even comes back at the end of uh, 6-1 there and, and uh, draws in a different uh, thought there that lays alongside the original one pretty well. We who are spiritual, the ones of us that have already held ourselves accountable, are the ones who are responsible uh, for helping others. Those of us who have already gotten the log out of our own eyes are the ones who are responsible for helping other folks. So this idea, uh, if you back up to, uh, to verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. This, this idea here uh, shoots back to the Old Testament, right? Uh, and you're going you're gonna to find this familiar with yourself too. Uh, they would use different weights and scales in buying and selling. So if I were to sell you something, I use... 
I use a weight that is heavier, so you have to pay more. But if I'm buying something from you, I would use my buying scales, and so it's lighter, it, 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 so I wouldn't have to pay so much. Let me give you this, this example. If I were to buy a, a two-by-four from you, um, I would say, well, this thing is seven feet and five-sixteenths of an inch. But if I'm selling you that two-by-four, that same one, I'm saying, well, that's eight feet. Jay, I'm letting myself off the hook, but I'm holding you more accountable than I am. To me, there's different, different measurements there. And so it, it kind of comes into the, uh, the idea that we've been talking about in our Sunday morning Bible class with forgiveness. If I don't forgive you, then what? God's not going to forgive me either. And so you kind of come back to the same idea with the judgment, how harshly I judge you. God's going to use that type of judgment, that level of harshness, harshness, that standard that I judged you with to judge me with. Now, if I've been holding myself accountable and, and if I've been growing in the graces that we talked about this morning from, from 2 Peter 1 and the fruits of the Spirit, I still don't be judged all that harshly, but I'm, I'm ready for it now because I, I've been taking account of my own life. But if I'm living however I want to live and I'm doing whatever I want to do, I definitely don't want to be judged very harshly. Uh, and so that, that comes into play as well, uh, I think, in this, in this section uh, of Scripture. And so however, whatever standard that I use to judge with people, God's going to use that to judge me with. Something to be aware of. I think he's... Employing, I think he's, he's trying to get us to be generous people here. But certainly the idea that he's, that he's not saying is that you don't get to judge at all. I think he's saying the exact opposite. You can and should judge. Uh, in, in fact, just, just walk through with me for the, the, the Sermon on the Mount for just a second. Matthew chapter 7, verse 19, just a few verses down. He talks about being aware of false prophets. Starting in verse 15, um, he starts talking to the crowds about these false prophets um, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their what? By their fruits, right? Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs gathered from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? It's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What have you done? You've judged them, right? You've looked at their life and seen this fruit that you're exhibiting doesn't look like the fruit of the Spirit. And so I've judged them, right? By necessity, I've judged them. Righteously, I've judged them. I can and should judge, and you can and should judge. We should do it righteously. We should do it rightly, first having taken a long, hard look at myself and in the back of my mind thinking, well, how can I be generous in this judgment? But I can and should judge. Go back to, to Matthew chapter 5. Really, the Sermon on the Mount is, is really... All about verse 20. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 20. If, if, if you had to have a theme verse for the Sermon on the Mount, this, in my estimation, would be it. 
I think he tells, I think he gives the Sermon on the Mount for this one reason. The people, when they think of righteousness, they look toward the Pharisees and they say, that guy over there, he's a righteous man. If I can just live up to his standard, if I can just get to that level of righteousness, I'll have made it. I'll be good. God will be pleased with me. If I can just live up to that guy's standard, what's the problem? That guy's not Jesus. Here's another problem. Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, judgment is intrinsic there. It's necessary. I look at their lives and I see them falling short of the standard that Jesus has set. I've, I've judged them, haven't I? I've discerned this matter. God's standard is here and there. They're down here somewhere. And so he says, unless my righteousness exceeds theirs, I don't have any chance of getting into heaven. I've judged. I've judged them, right? And you can, I mean, you just keep on going through, through the Sermon on the Mount. If you look in uh, chapter 6, where he talks about giving to the needy, he says, these guys go into the marketplace and they, they blow a trumpet. The trumpet, the idea there, the trumpet brings attention to, ever, to, to, the, uh, to the Pharisee who's, who's giving to the needy. And Jesus is once again echoing the same thought he, he, he gave us in Matthew 5.20. This isn't righteousness. This is show. They're putting on a show. And they've already received their reward. They wanted people to think they're righteous and they got what they wanted, but they're not actually righteous. You need to be better than that. So when you give, you don't be like them. You don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you pray, these guys, they go onto the marketplace and the temple, the courtyard, and they lift up their hands and they say, Father, and they make the big show about it. They've got what they wanted. They wanted people to think they were righteous. And people think they're righteous, but they're not righteous. I'm judging them. Jesus is judging them and he's saying you should too. You need to be better than this. Judgment is necessary. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it is a mandatory thing. To live in this world, to live righteously here, we have to judge. We have to discern. We have to make these decisions. Um, if you were to, for example, get out of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the case is is possibly even clearer. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, I don't know how Paul could be any more clearer uh, that, that judgment is um, necessary. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, I, I know this word judgment, judging, um, we almost cringe when you think of that, don't you? But uh, it, it may not be a good thing, but it is a necessary thing, and it's something that we, we should be doing. Because it's for our benefit. If someone comes to you and says, Hey, I, I, see, I see some incongruencies with your life. There's some stuff that you're doing that I just don't understand. I don't see how that's healthy. I don't see how that's helpful to get you to heaven. That person's not trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you, right? That, that's kind of the, the goal behind what Jesus is saying here, uh, that the Holy Spirit is saying here with, with judgment throughout Scripture, uh, I've looked at myself and, and I've, I've taken a good, long, hard look at myself and I've held myself accountable for where I've fallen short. And, and 
I still think that what you're doing is not good for you. And so with gentleness and kindness, I come to you and, and, and I talk to you about it. In 1 Corinthians 5, that is not the scenario that's happening. There's a guy that's in sin there and the whole church knows it. Everybody in the church knows it and they haven't done anything. And Paul is furious with them because they're letting that guy's soul in jeopardy because they refuse to judge him. Paul says, I've already judged him. You cast that man to Satan. Not because we don't like him. Not because we're angry at him. Not because he's brought shame on us. But to save him. You go back and read 1 Corinthians 5 tonight. Um, this comes from a place of love. Judgment comes from, in our case, a place of love. It is necessary. It's mandatory. We have to do this thing. Look what, he, look what Paul says uh, here in, in verse 2. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2. And you are arrogant. Everybody in the church knows this guy's sin. And, and he says, you're arrogant. Ought you not to rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. For though absent in body, Paul's not physically there with them, that's what he's saying. I am present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment. Paul's judged this guy. I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Jesus, people will say, well, only Jesus can, can judge. No. Paul judges. Paul judged this guy. Jesus said earlier that you need to judge, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, right? You need to do it right. You need to take a long, hard look at yourself and remove the plank out of your own eye. But you can and should judge. It's necessary. It's mandatory. Um, he's got a really interesting little, little bit here uh, toward uh, the middle of 1 Corinthians 5. Excuse me, toward the end. In verse 12, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And so at the very least, the bare minimum that we are to do is to keep watch on the church. To keep watch on each other. Now I do it right. Remove the log out of my own eye first. Make sure I'm, I'm accountable. Make sure that I'm righteous. Make sure that I'm spiritual first before I come and talk to you about your sin. Before I judge you. I need to make sure that I'm right first. But at the bare minimum, what Paul says is we judge the church. It's our responsibility to keep her clean. And so at the, at the very least, we do that. Well, so what about outsiders? Can I judge outsiders? Should I judge outsiders? Those who are, who are not been baptized, who are not members of the church. How should I judge them? Well, at the end of the day, our responsibility to them is to teach them, right? We go and we evangelize and we say, listen, you're, you're not saved. Your, your, your soul is in jeopardy and there's coming a day of judgment in which God will judge you. However you judged other people, whether you're the most tolerant person on the planet or whether you're the most judgmental person on the planet, he's going to judge everyone, regardless of how they judged other people. He's judging everybody. And that day's we're hurtling toward that day. And your soul is still in jeopardy. And so here's what the Bible says that you need to do to get your soul out of jeopardy. In fact, here's what the Bible says to do to make your salvation sure. Well, you need to repent, right? You need to confess. You need to be baptized to have your sins washed away. This is, this is our responsibility toward outsiders. And 
by proxy, almost by proxy, with, with us um, sharing the plan of salvation like that, we, we judge them, don't we? We don't condemn them. It's not our responsibility to condemn them. We don't have that authority. We don't have that power. That's his responsibility. Our job is to, to teach. And so that's, that's our responsibility, I think, toward outsiders. Um, flip back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 this time. Let's look at the, the context of what he really sets, uh, the context of in Galatians 6.1. He starts it way back in Galatians 5. So check out uh, verse 25, Galatians 5, verse 25. And this whole section, like I guess starting in, in 16 or so, Galatians 5, 16, is really where he picks up this thread. Um, but for, for lack of time tonight, we'll start in 25 to kind of capture, capture his thought. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's been talking about all these different things that are out of step with the gospel. And so he says, if we live by the Spirit, you got to be in step with them. And if you're not in step with them, what, what happens? Well, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? It's all, that's, remember, context is king. It's key. Uh, you got you to bring in Galatians 5.16 uh, with Galatians 6.1. It's all part of the same thought. So, Matthew 7, 1. If you just take verse 1, it looks awfully like you shouldn't judge. But you've got to look at the rest of the context. You've got to look at the whole Sermon on the Mount. You've got to, at the very least, look at the, the next five verses where Jesus says that we are certainly to judge. But let's look at the rest of Scripture. There are some other Scriptures that need to come into play uh, as we think through judging. Romans 2, 1 through 5 is another one of those passages. Uh, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So it, it, on the offset, you could take one of these verses out of context, and all, on the offset, it just kind of sounds like, oh, you shouldn't judge. Keep reading with me. Verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself? Sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying with the guy that had the log in his eye back in Matthew 7, 5. That you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's saying the exact same thing in Romans 2 as he is in Matthew 7. You deal with yourself first before you can deal with, before you can help anyone else's sin. And if I come to you and my life is just in blatant, open, obvious sin, unrepentant, um, acknowledged sin, and I'm coming to you about sin, he says that, that's who this verse is for, Romans 2. That's, 
and, and Matthew 7. That's who those verses are for. It's not talking to people who are trying with every fiber of our being to do what's right and then look to their left and see someone who else who is struggling. We're supposed to come put our arm around them and say, I love you and I know this is going to hurt you, but this is just not okay. I can't and should judge in that way. That's Bible. Um, there's a couple other passages we need to think through. John chapter 7, verse 24 um, is another one of those ones where it almost sounds like I shouldn't be judging at all. And he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Um, the Jews, if you go back to John chapter 7 again, you've got you've to gotta get into the context here. But the Jews were happy to circumcise someone on the eighth day, if, even if the eighth day happened to be on a Sabbath. Mosaical law says, and, and this is all caught up in, in John 7, so go back through and read John 7, but Jesus has just healed someone on the Sabbath. Big no-no, right? Insert eye roll here. If you can heal somebody, you do it whenever you want to. But because <laughs> you're God and God's smiling on this action, obviously it's a miracle. Uh, and so Jesus heals this guy. The Pharisees come up to him and they say, well, you can't do this kind of stuff. What are you doing? Don't you realize it's Sabbath? And he says, well, listen, guys, if, uh, if a baby's born uh, and the eighth day after his birth happens to be a Sabbath, don't you still circumcise him? Because Moses said, you got to circumcise the baby on the eighth day. That's law. And so you do that. If the, if, if the baby's eighth day of life comes on the day of Sabbath, you still circumcise them. Why is it not okay for me to heal somebody? You don't get it. And so it's almost like he's looking, he kind of turns from the Pharisees and he looks at the crowd and he says that, that these words, don't judge by appearances. Because that's what these guys are doing. That's what these Pharisees are doing. They want you to think that they're righteous. They want to appear righteous. They're just judging by appearances because they're not actually righteous. You need to judge with a different level, a different standard. You judge rightly. You look at yourself, take account of your own life, then you're able to help other people. So again, I can and should judge. James chapter 4 is an interesting uh, passage for, for our discussion tonight. Um, James says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You need to turn to James. James 4, let's, let's kick around this context for a couple of minutes and see what he's trying to drive at here because it sounds an awful lot even more condemning than Matthew 7, doesn't it? Um, look what he says directly before verse 12 and verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so then he brings in this idea that there's only one lawgiver and you're not him. Um, and then he says, don't judge your neighbor. But skip down to verse 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to, into such and such a town and spend a year there and we'll trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. They're, they're basically trying to put themselves in the place of God. You see it 
more clearly in the context when you read it all together like this, with really 11 through 16, 17 or so. Um, these guys are trying to put themselves in God's place. Well, we're in charge, and I'll go do whatever I want to do, and, and, and uh, I'll make profit, and I'll, I'll do trade, and I'll do all these things. And James says, well, what if God requires your soul of you that night? What if Jesus were to come back that day? Well, you're not in charge here, but you're living as if you are in charge. And he says, you're not in charge. You need to say, if this is what God wants, then this is what I'll do. I'll do these things and this thing. <clears throat> I think he's talking, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in the same context in, in verse 12. Um, I think he's saying there's some people that he's writing to that have put themselves in God's judge seat. And they are condemning their brothers. Most likely, if people are actually doing this, if I'm right, and this is the context that we're in, um, these people haven't taken Jesus' advice in Matthew 7 or Paul's advice in Romans 2. They haven't accounted for themselves first. Um, certainly, they are happily condemning whoever uh, they don't like or whoever's out of step with, with their particular view of the kingdom. James is saying, you're not the judge here. You're not the one who gets to decide the final destiny of people. Can you judge? Yeah. I think you need to. I think you better. I think it's helpful for us if we judge. Now, I think it's helpful for us only if we judge rightly, if we judge righteously. Uh, everything else just gets us into trouble. So the last, last thing very quickly, uh, and we've kind of done it tonight, the rules for interpreting Scripture well, it's called systematic theology. Go through the entire Bible, find every reference to the subject or the idea that you're talking about and see what the whole Bible says about it. Because if you take one verse, especially if you take that one verse out of context, you can kind of make it say whatever you want it to say. If you read it in context, you're forced to hear what God would have you to hear from it, especially when you take the whole, his, all of his, his counsel on that one topic. And you put it all together and you read it all in its own context. It takes a while and it's a little bit of hard work, but it's worth it so that you can interpret this book well. I think that's what he's talking about on judgment. Judging. Can you? Yes. Should you? Yes. How do you do it? Well, you got to deal with yourself first. And only then are you able righteously to help other people, but you need to help other people. We can and should judge. Tonight, if you're not a member of the church, we would love to sit down and study with you. That would, um, that's always our hope. That's always our dream is to add one more um, to God's kingdom. So maybe that's your need tonight. You need to be baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision and you're struggling. We want to pray with you and for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing? I Yeah.
Good evening, church family. Down south, we have a way we judge. We just say, bless her heart, and we can say whatever we want to about them. <laughs> um, as a couple announcements before we are dismissed, um, as a reminder that uh, Life Group 3 will be meeting after services this, uh, this evening uh, for fellowship. So that's Jeremy's Life Group, so uh, please stick around for that. Also, next Sunday will be Potluck Sunday. We'll have 1 o'clock service, uh, no 6 o'clock service, and Life Group 3, Jeremy's Life Group, is in charge of setup and cleanup uh, for that. And then at 2 o'clock, we'll be singing at Wingate um, after, after services that day. Um, also, as a reminder, Young at Heart will be meeting this Tuesday at 1030. We'll be heading to Longhorn Steakhouse. And April 1st will be the egg hunt. Um, if you can help out with eggs with that, please uh, see me or just grab a bag of eggs um, out there in the foyer. Um, also, Stepping Stone Supper is April 5th. Um, breakfast is on the menu for that day. And Flatwoods Gospel Meeting is April 24th through the 26th. Um, updates on our prayers. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in our prayers, Jim Haney, Terry Leap, Daryl Hall, Jennifer Baker, Ron Sanders, Amber Spitzer, and Wayne Stevens, and also Beverly Edwards' friends, Paula Noble. Keep them in your prayers uh, this week as well. Um, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our closing song tonight would be 892. We'll sing this song and then have our closing prayer. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I Love of the Lord never 
Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful opportunity, Lord, and the ability to come here and be able to worship you and be in your presence. Thank you for Chris's lesson tonight, Lord, and help us to look in our, in our hearts, Lord, and remove the plank in our own eyes so we can help judge one another and lead each other closer to you. Um, please be with them, those, Lord, that are in darkness, Lord, or sick, whether physically or spiritually, and help, help to guide and direct them, Lord. We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. <laughs> 